You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. This is Michael Webb. Some people talk about selling activities like lead magnets and deal qualification and selling to senior level decision makers. Other people talk about process tools, measurement of data and systems thinking. But not many people talk about these th- how these things can be brought together to motivate people. And that's what we want to talk about in this podcast. My guest today is Jeff Galis. Uh, welcome here, Jeff. Uh, thank you. Why don't you introduce yourself for my audience? I, I appreciate that. My name is Jeff Galis. I, uh, I am the founder of On Purpose Growth, and I've been attacking the, the, you know, the strategy, the process, and the people problem for all too long now. So you have a pretty interesting background. I mean, we did a project together a number of years ago. Um, and I'd not met someone, uh, like you, your younger generation, you'd already been introduced to process improvement by your, your dad, as I recall. Can you tell us yep. how you first learned about this stuff? I, uh, that, that's a long story. I'll try to give you the, the cliff notes version. But when I was about 12 years old, I went to a baseball tournament. My father was my coach and I thought I had the best tournament of my life. At the the end of the tournament, my dad turned around and handed the MVP trophy to one of my teammates. And on that car ride home, I, I remember being very upset. And my dad turns and looks at me and says, you have a lot of learning to do. And that was the start of him teaching me about system thinking and process improvement and, and taking this kind of different approach. Now, he introduced me to probably too thick of business books for a 12-year-old to read. But eventually, after they held my couch up for a while in college, I actually took them out and, and gave them a read, and, and that was really the start. Well, okay, but i got to have to drill into this a little bit because I have a sure. son, too. He's 30 now, okay? And I tried to talk to him about stuff like this, but it came across as lecturing. I'm not sure it stuck very well. So how did your father get that to stick? Well, as you know, my father, there was no choice but to have it stick. But I think, <laughs> I, I think the, that what my dad was able to do at a, a very effective level was use the experiences I was going through and the struggles I was going through to introduce kind of root cause analysis. And then once you get to the root cause and you start applying some of the other theories in process improvement, and one of his big lines was always think next play. So once, <laughs> Once he just kind of brought that into things I care about, such as baseball, one of the theories we always have is before every pitch, you think next play. So if the ball goes here, where am I going with it? And that was really the first version of process improvements that I was introduced to on the baseball field. That was the pain you were feeling. You were sort of playing range of the moment, and he wanted you to think in advance about the plays. Is that how it tied into systems thinking, and that's why it meant something to you? That's that's exactly it. And if I, I know most people don't see baseball as a team sport, but as you get more advanced levels, the way everybody moves kind of has to go together. And the way where the pitcher pitches and then how the field results as the fielders move behind them become more and more important. Interesting. And so he was introducing those lessons and, you know, hey, wait a minute, you had a negative outcome. <laughs> what can you change that you that what can you change in your process to have a different outcome? And things like that and using statistics to help you look at it accurately, getting towards a, a closer version of reality, if you will. 
So his, his, his tactic was really use the things I cared about and apply these theories to those. Wow. Sort of whether little, it was a, a mini version of Moneyball. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, I, I, I will tell you that I think my dad invented Moneyball well before, before <laughs> uh, Billy Bean ever brought it to major leagues, but the, the little league diamond doesn't carry the same kind of weight. All right. So fast forward uh, many years after college, you started getting involved in sales and sales training. So tell us about that. So I appreciate that. I, I before I founded On Purpose Growth, I was working with a, a sales training firm. And one of the things that I noticed is that sales training and sales management just didn't apply um, what I would say is sound theory of improvement. And it was very tactical based. It was very generic based. And it didn't apply the theories that I had been learning for the, the past 15 years. Now, that's not to say they're not important. And that's not to say they don't help. In fact, I think great sales skills and sales talent, if you will, are necessary, but they're not sufficient. And so that's, that's when I started connecting the two worlds of wait a minute, sales and, and learning how to communicate and learning the ability to, to ask questions and learning the ability to understand the business problems and the impacts that your clients have and want, and then apply that, apply systems thinking and apply process to be able to do that more and more consistently. Now, would you say that, um, well, I guess you would say that the skills of process improvement, the thinking that it brings, uh, are helpful to people like sales trainer or salespeople in general. Can you can you tie that down into c concrete examples? <laughs> well, I, I first let me let me confirm what you just said. I couldn't agree with you any more strongly. I the future of sales, uh, in fact, the current sales, and if you look over historically. What has truly succeeded in sales is understanding your client's needs and understanding your client's needs at a high enough level that it actually goes to how their pains are impacting their system. And the best salespeople have always been able to paint the picture from the client's perspective. And to do that, you really need a healthy ability to have systems thinking and to see their picture in its entirety, not just from your product's perspective, if that makes sense. Well, to get, yeah, that's, a, that's a, 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 an issue that's difficult for a lot of process people to grasp, isn't it? You know, I, I, I guess I've been blessed. Most of my mentors like yourself have, have, have not struggled to see, to see the bigger picture. Um, I, I've heard of these people, but I, Fortunately for me, I, I run in the sales worlds where they either don't know, they haven't thought about systems thinking or process improvements, which is a, a green field yep. and less arguments, or I, I've been dealing with experts and, and dealing with people that have, have, have already crossed that bridge. So I, I, I've been very lucky. Well, I'm thinking of people who grew up in production plants and they do lean and they try to bring lean to the sales force and first thing they do is make everybody 5s their trunk of their car or you know <laughs> 5s their desk and that generally doesn't go over well 
I wish somebody could come and five S my desk right now. I'm looking at a pile of papers. And <laughs> that's getting a little too well, high. And I, I, I'm doing my whole office right now because it's <laughs> agreed. Like yours is, is probably a big mess. It's, but you have to think differently to do that. And that's one. That's what process improvement. That's what the lean philosophy is about. Is is grasping how human beings think and gaining more control over that process. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, and and I think we're touching on a topic that's it, that's that's very important here, and it's mindset over tools and mindset over technique. That's that's one of the things that you, that that I say all all the time is don't give me the tool, give me the mindset, and the tool will present itself. And that's that's you know five S is great, and I'm not trying to say that five S isn't, but one thing salespeople will always tell you is that they're really busy. Now. We all know that the water cooler is probably more busy than they are. I, I kid, of course, because I'm one of the water cooler guys. But the, the idea of focusing where your efforts have the most impact is a mindset that I try to help with all of my salespeople. So when we talk process and we talk, talk all of these tools, first and foremost is when you look at your system, you have to see where you're applying your efforts to create the, the optimized output for the system. Yeah. And 5Sing my trunk wouldn't make a difference in the world. I don't use my trunk. But I'll tell you what, if I haven't been told 32 times by different sales trainers that, that you better have an organized car. Yeah, or you better have an organized way to qualify your prospect, right? Mm -hmm. You need to 5S your qualification criteria. By the way, we're using jargon, 5S. I'm remiss. <laughs> I should have defined what that is. It's a, it's a Japanese term. For things like uh, what is it, sweeping, uh, setting in place. There's five words for like housekeeping that all start with S and, and sort. Like, having a clean Sa house. Yeah, yeah. Shine, standardize, and sustain. Yeah, and it, it works in a factory. Um, but since we're talking about how people think, you know, having knowing what an ideal prospect looks like, an ideal sales opportunity, and being able to compare one sales opportunity to another uh, among salespeople, most companies kind of think they do that, but they really haven't defined it, uh, you know, very clearly, you know, ask two or three people in your company who the customer is and you're liable to get, especially in large companies, you're <laughs> going to get three or four answers. And that yeah. is what prevents them from aligning. Would you agree That's with that? I, 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 that is such a great point. And you asked me at the start of this, maybe five minutes ago before I, I kept thinking, talking theory about a practical example. Yeah. And so when we're talking about practical examples, one of the things you just mentioned is we all have to have a shared version of reality on who our ideal prospect is and who our ideal client profile is. And almost invariably, when I work with startups or companies that want that quote-unquote explosive growth, they tell me about their market size. And I had a client that worked in the healthcare market, and they would tell me how big the healthcare market is all the time. And I'd look at them, and I'm like, great, that has nothing to do with you. Now, they sold in to major insurance carriers. However, that doesn't mean the healthcare market is their market. And so this idea of sorting and shining and standardizing and all of that fun stuff that comes with the five S's about your qualification, I think is dead on because once we actually got down to who they serve and the specific problem they solved and who could take advantage of the unique way they did it, we actually found they had 28 targets. 
And well, in 28 companies that could benefit from their service, that would be ideal clients. Okay. And so they went from this, (laughs) how big the healthcare market is to 28 targets. And think about what that did for their strategy instead of saying, oh, my God, let's look at broadscape marketing and let's look at how we're pumping into SEO. We got to switch and say, wait a minute, instead of spending all of this money making sure we're number one Google rank, let's spend this money getting in front of these 28 decision makers. And instead of having a sales force that was ever expanding to fit a healthcare market, we focused on salespeople that had connections with these 28 people. But change, change your strategy entirely. It, it's a completely different game. And that's one of the first things that, that I always tell clients is if you can't not only tell me what your ideal client profile is, but give me a list of people that fit that ideal client profile and tell me why you're special for them. And if your competitor can say the same thing, you're not special, but tell me why you're special for them. You don't have a strategy and you can't have a strategy that's anything more than luck. So you, the, the practical example here is the idea that when you do five uh, S, as you mentioned, it's of your ideal client profile and your prospect list. When you go through that, and now we all have shared reality, we can now take that to practical action plans. When you tell me you're, you're selling to the healthcare market and it's this huge, huge market, and I won't even venture a guess at how big the quote unquote healthcare market is. Yeah. And you take that from this huge market to what is an actual addressable market for you. It completely changes the game. And then you can actually have tactics. And we had tactics to get into those 28. And instead of taking, you know, the average sales cycle in healthcare is 24 months and longer. And within 12 months, three of those 28 had already signed up. Wow. And those are, those, those were brand new six figure deals. That, that they hadn't even touched before. We more than doubled the size of the company just by that one switch. Now, the typical kind of company that you deal with is, if I'm not mistaken, um, small companies. I mean, in the consulting work that you do, you're dealing with entrepreneurs. Can you describe that for me? <laughs> and then I yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And, and I guess small is a relative term. Our, our general focus here at On Purpose Growth is the company that's between one and $20 million, but they believe they should be between 50 and 100. And they're looking towards either just passing down from a father to son, father to daughter, or they're looking at an event in the next five, three to five years where they want to sell, be acquired, get investment. And that's, that's really become our focus because our strategies and our, our process allows us to quickly work with them to find the right priorities, to find the right strategy, to get that, that quick moving. And what I say is low cost growth, because I've, I've, unlike you, I've never worked with the companies that have the, you know, the million dollar budgets Mm -hmm. and and the large budgets. So I, I always tell people if, if you have a million dollar budget, I'm probably not the right guy, but if, if, if you're on a, a tight budget and you're, you're worried about how to, to really maximize the impact of every dollar spent. That's, that's really our focus. And if you're in Chicago, right, you zero in on that market. Uh, so we're, we're all over the Midwest now, and we're also now opening an office in Denver. So we're hitting the West Coast as well. Ah, okay. And I, we have a very strategic plan on how we chose Denver 
I really enjoy the mountains and I really enjoy that area. So that's, that was our strategic plan of moving to Denver. <laughs> well, so when you get a uh, owner of a company um, mm-hmm. who needs your help um, and, and wants your help, you t- probably run into some uh, typical mindsets that they might not know they need to change. Um, right. And so I'm wondering uh, how you detect that. And then what are typical things you do to help them kind of expand their, their uh, perspective? Cause you're helping them be better managers, right? So what are the, like the top three things that you do? I, I appreciate that. And first I, I, you know, we, you and I have talked operational definitions a whole lot and making sure we have clarity in our language. It's one of the, the fun conversations you and I have. And, so one of the first things I'll say is I don't get anyone. <laughs> we kind of find a partnership. Um, and it's kind of one of those things. It's more like a marriage that, than me capturing or me winning prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of our perspective on it because it's sometimes those, those conversations can be very heated and very personal. Um, so if it's a matter of, of win loss, it, it very rarely goes well. So I, I that, that's our mindset here. And on purpose growth is the idea that we're entering into a partnership and our focus is on what's good for the client is good for us. If the client go, grows, so will we. So that's, that's the, the one small switch I'll make there. But if you're, you're asking me a pretty direct question and I, I'll get into it. The, the first is that one sales cures all ills and that if, if they have one problem, it's generally always sales. And their salespeople should just then go work on that top line. And it's one of the most dangerous methodologies or theories that, that I've seen. Large companies get away with it because they, they can swallow that type of waste. Now they get away with it, but it's still damaging. It's still waste. In these, these companies that are one to 10, five to 20, five to $30 million, if your salespeople aren't if the people that are most intimate with your customers and clients aren't developing relationships and finding out other issues and learning about the industry and bringing that information back to the company, you will not grow. You will not succeed. That is something that is absolutely necessary for your salespeople is that they're responsible for more than just top line sales. The second one is short term planning and short term thinking. They want these salespeople to go out, they hire the salesperson, and they think it's magic that it'll happen within six to nine months. And depending on your sales cycle, depending on who you hire, depending on the people you hire, it just doesn't happen that fast. Now, growth can happen that fast, but a salesperson onboarding and making these these great jumps generally doesn't. So... What we tell people is if your first inclination is to crack the whip on salespeople or that salespeople is the, are the problem and the individual efforts of salespeople are the problem, we're, we're going to have some work to do because the fastest way we found to growth has very little to do with the actual salespeople's activity and effort level. So the, the second mindset that I'm mentioning here is that most people think the barrier between them and more sales is the idea that the salespeople aren't working hard enough. Right. It's all about what those people do, right, and it's not. Yeah, and that's – so that's that's probably number two. Um, and, and number three is is the idea that – and I, I hear this all the time, 
If I don't do it, it won't get done. And when I hear that, I say, then simply put, you're a terrible manager. So, <laughs> well, that's why you get into arguments with them. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I probably need to work on some of I, I need to go back to some of that sales technique and be a little nicer about it. But <laughs> the, the idea that if you have a process that only you can run, you don't have a process. And that's, that's a mindset that, that we have to shift. So th those three things are really where the first mindset comes in, that salespeople have to do a lot more than just sales, that the barrier between you and your growth is very rarely effort-based. And, and then three, that if you're sitting there saying, I'm the only one that can do it, things need to change in a hurry. So to build off of that last one, let me ask you a mm -hmm. question. Because in, in the small companies that I've worked with, I've um, repeatedly run into a fourth uh, kind of mm -hmm. obstacle. Um, a distributor happens to be uh, up in the upper Midwest, as a matter of fact. Um, worked with them, um, helped them define their undesirable results, helped them find their root cause of this, and then began doing improvement on that, and they launched a project, which was their idea. Um, about um, what, you know, how, how to make a change that would create improvement. And the team, we were meeting every two weeks on the phone, I think, and they were making uh, really great progress. It involved going out to customers and, well, you know, asking them some kind of open-ended questions about some problems that the customers had and assimilating that information. Um, after about two months of doing this, and the team was buying in, they're making progress, the data was taking shape, and the owner of the company uh, who had brought me in uh, got an idea and said, wow, we're, we're doing a trade show at the end of the month, so let's use this information to make a presentation at that trade show, which kind of diverted the project over into what he thought was important. And of course, everyone was lined up saying, oh, yes, sir, that's a good idea, we'll do that. And it became his project instead of the team's project, right? Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, improvement stopped after that. I wonder if you've seen that before, where um, I, I'm sure you must have, and, and it's kind of what you were referring to there in that third point, where the owner of a company needs to recognize they're the ones, the people who work for you are the ones who own the problem. They have to own the solution. And so you have to, your job is to, if you want them to grow without you, right? without you having to be at the center of everything, then you have to let them drive, let it use their ambitions to help the company grow. Um, and they may not be used to you doing that, and it may be uncomfortable, but have you seen that, that mindset where executives have sort of got in their own way without realizing it? <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, I would... I, I don't have a good name for it, but yeah, we see it a, a fair amount where when things are going well or there's a perceived lack of traction, then the, one of the executives, the partners, the leaders, the founder, the presidents, whatever the title is, is going to jump in. And whether that jump in is good or bad is all a matter of perspective. And so one of the things we'll, that I, I know you and I have talked about many times is getting to a shared reality. 
And very rarely does the person sitting in the corner office have a clean view of what, what the, the guys at the boots on the ground see. And to be making decisions to, to shift a project or to jump in. Um, and you see this all the time with sales managers when there's a proposal that goes out with a big number on it or a, a key client that, that there's a key client meeting, all of a sudden the manager is going to be there. And they don't look at what that means to the customer experience. They don't look at what that means to employee engagement. And it's really short-term thinking. And the, uh, the brother or sister of that is the lack of willingness to let people make mistakes. And when you go to meetings, the comment that I hear all too often from, from executives who have that mindset is, well, if somebody would have just told me, I could have avoided that mistake. And I, I, you know, there's enough quotes about the benefit of hindsight, but one of the things that I focus on with, with my executives and founders is, Hey, let's take a look back at the last two years and give me a list of all the mistakes you've made. That's and the, the only point of that exercise is not to go back and with them, but to get them to acknowledge that they've made mistakes too. And if they're particularly hard-nosed, we'll have fun, and I'll tell them how dumb they were for that mistake. And if they spent any time thinking about it, that was an easy mistake to avoid. But the idea is that these small businesses, you're going to make mistakes like that. And the reason I'm, I'm talking about this in the context of these managers jumping in to take over the solution is the idea that managers, owners, founders forget how many mistakes they made to get to where they're at. And not only from a personal development point, how important that is, but from a boots on the ground perspective, there's going to be mistakes made no matter who's doing the work. And the leader can't step in to try and avoid those mistakes because you're just causing other mistakes. And now you're, re you're removing the ability to have a stable process and improvement of that stable process. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the, uh, mantras or the, the the things that people repeat um in the lean philosophy is problems are treasures you need to instead of hiding the problems and sweeping them under the rug not talking about those deals we lost or the things we went wrong no we need to get them out in the open and you know inspect them and learn from them respectfully right but when people make mistakes that's the chance they have to learn uh, so I, I really agree. That's a well well put, well described uh, story there, an example, and some ways of talking to executives to help them put in perspective um, the issue. You know, and you brought up one of my personal favorites is the idea of a lost deal and the value of a lost deal, and the idea that that we not only can learn from that, but also the idea that sometimes. You, you look back and say, we lost that deal, but we lost that deal because we're running our process. Now, the instinct of almost every sales leader is to jump in and go do something to win that deal and to make a change based on one data point. And it absolutely drives, my, drives me crazy because one of two things happens. One, we go in, we win that deal because we promised a bunch of things. And for manufacturing or software as a service or or even consulting, when you promise things that are out of your norm, that the variation that you cause downstream is has huge costs to carry with it. But don't worry, you won that deal. 
And that, that kind of stuff just absolutely drives me crazy. And that's, again, that goes to one of the things that I talked about is that sales should only be focused on the top line. And that's one of the damaging effects of that mindset is we don't, we, we have to look at every lost deal as something we want to go with. Now, the second part of this is how often the, the sales manager, the sales leader, the executive getting involved in those deals to make sure you don't lose them actually costs them the deal. Because the salesperson sitting in front has spent hours cultivating that relationship, has spent hours understanding that business. If not, I mean, some of these, some of these deals go 9, 12, 18 months where you're spending days upon days with them. Right. And all of a sudden, the sales manager, sales leader comes in and tries to play hero, but doesn't understand the customer, doesn't understand the client, doesn't understand the perspective. And one of my favorite stories on this, and, and talk about practical examples, I was helping develop a, a brand new sales force. It was a bunch of, of 20-something kids, brand new to sales, and we spent a lot of time talking about getting rid of a standard, standard pitch deck. Mm-hmm. And instead, have a standard set of resources you can pull from to develop the pitch deck to your client's needs. So develop a process that can, that can accept the variation from prospect to prospect. And we go in, one of, the, one of these kids broke down the door at what would be their, their largest client. And when it came down to do the proposal, we actually all agreed that we needed a subject matter expert in the room. And that was unfortunately, in this case, the CEO. And the CEO came in, took one look at the pitch deck, and instead of listening to the boots on the ground of what the prospect needed, the, the, newfound, the newfound salesperson CEO shifted the pitch deck. And the first four slides were those standard slides of, hey, look how awesome we are. We've been in business for X amount of years. Hey, look at all the other logos that we have, all of that garbage. And he got, he got through with those slides. The prospect stood up and said, this was not what we agreed to. This is not what I wanted to see. You've now wasted my time and you guys need to go. Wow. And they lost that client because the CEO didn't listen to the boots on the ground. The CEO had the mindset of, I know better. And what really got me is when they walked out, the CEO looked at the salesperson who did a great job, who was ready, and instead of tipping his hat and saying, man, I should have listened to you about that pitch deck, turned and said, you didn't do a good job, good enough job qualifying that prospect. Oh, my goodness. And uh, that was... That also happened to be the last day I worked with that client because I had a few choice words, but that's, that's my ego going for a walk <laughs> instead of doing the right thing. Um, but the, uh, the idea there stands, and, and it's, it's really simple, is that the, the sales manager, the sales leaders, they have to understand the process, the variation, and give room for those mistakes. Because unless you're on the ground, unless you have knowledge of the situation, you're not the right person to solve it. And that goes towards operational definitions and uh, making things visible and having gone through the thought processes to establish a common reality, as you put it, across the organization. That is an excellent uh, story. And we're approaching the end of our uh, time period here, Um, but this has been uh, great. Uh, Can you provide 
a little bit of your contact information, any recommendations you might have uh, for my audience and how they could get a hold of you? Uh, OnPurposeGrowth.com or look me up on LinkedIn. I'm Jeff Galis. That's probably the easiest way to get to get a hold of me. But if you want to do the old-fashioned email, it's J-G-A-L-A-S at OnPurposeGrowth.com. That's J-Galis at OnPurposeGrowth.com. And uh, my, Michael, if you don't mind, I'm going to leave them with one, one piece of advice. It's something that's, that's near and dear to my heart for all managers is, is really create that, that priority list. Do the first thing first and the second thing never, as Drucker taught us. And the, the focus should be on, on improving the process and improving the system as a whole. If your first thing first doesn't impact the whole, you're not really doing anything. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this has been fun. I would look forward to uh, having you back again if you're willing to do that. And um, <laughs> thanks a bunch. Let's, uh, I, I appreciate it. And let's see how your audience reacts before they have to listen to my voice again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great. You take right. care. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.